if the opinion polls are right, uh, the two coalitions right now uh, could have together between 42 um, and 45 percent of popular vote, which um, uh, would be enough to get a majority of seats if there are only one or two of those small parties that, that make it. If there are more than uh, two parties, then of course um, 45% uh, will not be enough and, uh, and the two coalitions will not gain a majority of seats. Hello and welcome to Think Atlantic, a series by IRI's Transatlantic Strategy Division in which we provide you with thought leadership for the future of the transatlantic space. My name is Thibaut Bezerg, I am your host for this show. In today's episode, we are going to talk about the Czech Republic, where general elections are going to take place this end of week on October 8th and 9th. These elections could be a turning point for this Central European country, and they may well have some implications for the region, for the European Union, and the transatlantic relationship. To this Discuss what's at stake. I am joined by my guest, Jerzy Pe, a renowned Czech political analyst and writer. He is the director of uh, New York University in Prague and head of NYU's uh, Prague Institute for Democracy. He arrived in the US as a political refugee from the Czechoslovakia at the time in the early 1980s, graduated for Columbia University in 1985. He worked at Freedom House and then became director of uh, Central European Research at Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. Returning to Prague, he joined Václav Havel's uh, cabinet as director of the uh, political department and later served as his personal advisor. Jerzy is also the author of hundreds of analytical studies as well as several books on developments in Central and Eastern Europe, some fiction, some non-fiction, focusing especially on transitions to democracy. Jerzy, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, so, Yerji, let's start by a little bit of catching up, because while I'm convinced that we have some Czech politics aficionados among our listeners, many probably need a little bit of catching up if we are to have an interesting and meaningful conversation. So let's make it simple. Andrei Babiš, uh, the prime minister since 2017 with his party, Anno, is seeking re-election this end of week. Against him, we have uh, two coalitions. First, the liberal conservative coalition called Spolu, or Together in Czech, which is made of three parties, the Civic Democratic Party, or ODS, the Christian Democratic Union, KDU GSL, and Top Zero Nine. The second coalition, uh, again opposing Babish to the left, is the Pirates and Mayors Coalition. And as the name suggests, it is made of the Pirate Party and the Mayors and Independence Party. And to complete the picture, we also have a number of disruptors, both on the left and on the right. On my far left is the old Communist Party of Bohemia and Moravia, which has supported Babish for a long time during the current mandate. And on the far right, the Freedom and Direct Democracy Party of Tomio Okamura. So, This is the very broad picture, but now that we have set the stage, I would like to ask you a question and maybe start to make sense of this sort of atomized political system, which, I mean, atomized just like European politics is right now. So are these elections 
a choice between all of these parties, or is it more of a referendum on Prime Minister Andrei Babish? And if it is a referendum, is it rather a good thing for the incumbent or a bad thing? Well, it is a referendum about Mr. Babish, just like it was in 2017 when Mr. Babish won. At the time, the opposition parties uh, were fragmented. Uh, there were, in addition to Babish's uh, eight other parties uh, that qualified for seats in in the lower house and uh, they were disunited and unable to take a joint action against Babish. So Babish was able to govern as uh, prime minister in charge of a minority government, which didn't uh, pass the vote of confidence. And that was because Mr. Zeman, the president of the Czech Republic, kept him in power for, for those six months. And during that time, uh, Mr. Babish and Mr. Zeman put pressure on these small parties to to join Babish and eventually the Social Democrats and the Communists uh, obliged. And I think that uh, right now we are in the same situation in the Czech Republic. Babish uh, uh, is still leading in polls. His, his party is ahead of, uh, of other political groupings. Uh, but the situation has changed to some extent because, uh, as you mentioned, the two coalitions uh, that were created by opposition, small opposition parties are actually challenging Babish to some extent. And under some circumstances, they could actually uh, gain a majority in the lower house. And that would be a real game changer in Czech politics. I think we, we understand what this election is about. And I think, you know, there is a clear issue around whether Andrei Babish should continue as prime minister or not. But I'd like to focus a little bit on the opposition. And you talked about two blocks on this, one on the center right and, and the other on the center left. Looking a bit more into details at the center left, it seems that the music that we're seeing or what has happened over the past six months is surprisingly familiar to another country to the west and, and north of, of the Czech Republic, because the pirates are part of, of the Greens in uh, uh, at European level, and their trajectory during the campaign is very much looking like that of the Greens in, in Germany in the in, in the election that just happened a, a couple of weeks ago. We, we're talking about two political formations that have similar electoral targets, orientations generally that are similar. They started the campaign very well with dreams of ending up in first place and running the government, and both have progressively lost their ascent during the campaign. Looking back at the Czech Republic, the Pirates and Mayor coalitions was polling at 28% in April when the Greens polled at around 25% in Germany. And if we are to trust the polls, it's always difficult to do so these days, but if we are to trust the polls, they are now polling at 19% and standing at number three, which is just a little bit above where the Greens uh, were in Germany. Do you feel that this parallel is adequate? And, and whether you do or not, actually, my question is, what does the, the, the decline of the support for the Pirates and, and Mayor's Party during the campaign tell us? either about the reality of their appeal, uh, which might be, have been overstated, or the campaigning skills of progressive liberals in the Czech Republic and in Europe? Well, I think that uh, the decline of the pirates in particular, because it seems that um, their partner, the mayors, uh, are holding their ground. Um, but, of course, the coalition as, as a whole is, um, has lost some support as a result of, of the loss of support for the pirates. I think that the pirates are basically a victim of, uh, of some bad uh, electoral strategy because when they were leading in polls in uh, February, March, uh, they assumed that uh, the only way to proceed for them was to become a catch-all party of sorts. Uh, they uh, started talk, getting attention of Mr. Babish's voters, who are mainly 
uh, older um, people with conservative uh, leftist views. And that strategy uh, didn't work uh, simply because the, uh, the pirates uh, are viewed, let's say, progressive uh, liberal party of young people and for the young people. And so their attempts to um, somehow address uh, the older generation is a miscalculation. I think that they also, as a result, lost some of their uh, drive because uh, obviously if uh, if you try to become a catch-all party, you have to somehow go uh, certain radical edges in your campaign. And that, I think, put off some of the young people who had been their uh, supporters. Um, so... In general, it seems that uh, the decline in support for the pirates has been caused by some some bad uh, electoral strategies, whereas in Germany, I think it was not so much uh, the strategy, but some uh, personal uh, problems of their leader and uh, and things of that sort. So I also think that uh, Czech pirates are uh, still untested and that, of course, um, contributes to the fact that can, they can be easily attacked because uh, they have not been in the government, in the central government so far. And so when Mr. Babish uh, launched a, a really massive campaign against them, calling them neo-Marxists and, and, and so on, it registered with some, some people because uh, they uh, could not compare Mr. Babish's charges to, to any, any kind of uh, reality simply because the pirates have not been in the government through they are in charge of Prague but there's a different level of politics so uh, I think that um, they are now paying a price uh, I, I think that in the last few weeks they have managed to slow down the decline maybe even stop it but uh, the dream about winning the election and Mr. Um, uh, Bartosz their leader becoming the prime minister are now I think over and they know that uh, if those two coalitions uh, win uh, a majority of votes, it will most likely be Mr. Fiala, the, the leader of the other coalition, who will become the prime minister of the Czech Republic. Actually, this is a, a perfect transition to an additional question. Uh, let's look at the, the centre-right. And, you know, th- this is something that is quite interesting because we're seeing three parties that were clearly at odds with with each other. Topo 9 was a splinter party from the Christian Democrats, KDO-GSL, and, and the, the, the relationship over Europe with ODS between Topo 9 and, and ODS was never easy. And yet they found a way to come together to solidify a, a sort of coalition. I mean, it, it's obviously making them stronger, right? Are they going to the polls? It looks like they're going to compete uh, with Mr. Babish for who comes first. Is that going to be enough? And do you see the campaign is going well in for them? Well, uh, whether it's enough uh, will depend on uh, several factors that are difficult to predict. One of them is the number of small anti-system parties that will make it into the parliament. There are three parties of that kind now in the Czech Republic uh, attacking uh, the 5% threshold, which uh, uh, parties have to sort of surpass in, in their attempt to, to win seats in the parliament. And those are the Communist Party, then, of course, uh, Mr. Okamura and his uh, Freedom and uh, Direct Mor- Democracy Party, which is a far-right party. And then there is a new movement called uh, Psisaha, which means Oath in Czech, and that's a movement formed by former police officers. And all of those uh, groupings uh, have uh, a real chance to make it uh, and uh, 
And if they do, it would not be um, much over 5%. Uh, it would be maybe in case of Mr. Okamura, it would be higher, about 10%. But in case of the communists and uh, oath, uh, we are talking about 5 6%. But that could change everything, because if those parties um, pass the threshold, uh, they will win seats in the parliament, and Mr. Babish can possibly form a majority government uh, with them. If not, then uh, the Czech electoral law uh, stipulates uh, that votes cast for parties that make it uh, be redistributed in favor of those that did make it. And that, of course, uh, could significantly increase the number of seats that the two coalitions uh, will have in the end. And also slightly, of course, Mr. Babish's gains. But overall, it would mean that those two coalitions could have a majority. So if the opinion polls are right, uh, the two coalitions right now uh, could have together between 42 um, and 45% of popular vote, which um, uh, would be enough to get a majority of seats if there are only one or two of those small parties that, that make it. If there are more, then... Uh, uh, two parties, then of course, um, uh, 45% uh, will not be enough and, uh, and the two coalitions will not gain a majority of seats. So it's a very, it's a very complicated, uh, game, uh, and uh, the post-election arithmetic will be extremely important for who actually is able to, to form a majority uh, government. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about coalitions and arithmetic, and, and and obviously the arithmetic will only really count after the election. But let's project ourselves. What do you think are the are the most probable scenarios? Without discounting the idea that there might be some minority governments or that there might be another party needed to to form a coalition, it looks like the two main options would be a, a coalition or a minor, minority government uh, led by Andrei Babish on the one hand, and the other one would be a coalition between Spolu. On the center right, and the pirates and and mayors on on the center left. First of all, do you agree that these options are most likely? Because I'm, I might have got it wrong. But if they are, do you see them as as working in the long term? After all, having a a minority government is not an easy thing to start with. And when you are talking about coalitions, we're talking about you know coalitions between Spolu and the pirates. We're talking about parties that have a very different political philosophy. Do you see these options as, as tenable? I don't see them as very uh, plausible simply because uh, there is yet another card in Czech elections and that is President uh, Zeman who uh, is notorious uh, for his uh, contempt for the constitution and uh, for taking um, steps which are not always in line with the constitution. And Mr. Zeman has said that he will uh, appoint the leader of the strongest party, uh, not the leader of the strongest coalition. So even if one of those two coalitions wins, uh, he's not going to appoint the leader of that coalition to uh, put together a government. He's going to appoint Mr. Babish because Mr. Babish is virtually certain to be the leader of the strongest party after the elections. So it is all prepared uh, by President for Mr. Babish to to continue. Uh, And uh, what will happen after that is uh, really um, a big question because it will depend to a large extent on whether Mr. Babish can form a majority government with those small anti-system parties, which I mentioned, or uh, whether he will be uh, unable to do so because the two coalitions will have a majority. Uh, However, 
And no matter what, he will be uh, the first to be asked by Zeman to form a government. And uh, we will probably see the same scenario that we saw in 2017 and the first half of 2018 when Mr. Babish also uh, was given a chance to uh, to govern by President Zeman, although all other parties said they are not going to support him. Mr. Zeman named him anyway. Uh, and when Mr. Babish didn't uh, win the vote of confidence, uh, he asked him to be uh, in charge of, of uh, a caretaking government, uh, as a sort of an acting prime minister, and kept him in power for six months. And during that time, uh, he and Mr. Babish put a lot of pressure on other political parties to join them. Uh, so I think that this scenario will be probably repeated because um, if Mr. Babish is appointed and he cannot form a majority government, it's uh, very likely that there will be attempts to tear those two coalitions apart and uh, maybe persuade one or two parties uh, from those coalitions, which have together five parties, uh, to work with Mr. Babish. The argument will be even stronger than in 2017 and 18 because uh, the Czech Republic is taking over uh, the presidency of the European Union in July 2000, 2022. And uh, that will be used as a very strong argument by the president to actually help Mr. Babish to form uh, a, a stable, solid government that could take us through um, uh, this presidency of the European Union. The chances of those two coalitions to defend themselves against this uh, attempt by president to basically bypass the constitution or at least the sort of the, the spirit of the constitution uh, will depend on their ability to actually uh, take some legislative action. So if they if they have a majority and Mr. Babish is named the prime minister anyway, then of course um, they can take some uh, action. If not, then they will be basically powerless. Mm. Well, I mean, I think uh, that reminds us that uh, in a parliamentary, at least in some parliamentary uh, regimes, there is also the ro a role for the president. And it's true that in the Czech Republic, it is a very strong uh, uh, role indeed within the confines of a parliamentary system, which is that this, this is fascinating. I, I would like to move on a little bit and, and move out of Czech-Czech. Uh, politics to talk about the Czech Republic's uh, place in the European Union, and you mentioned the presidency of the uh, of the EU by uh, by the Czech Republic, which is now coming soon. But the thing about the European Union is that the Czechs, or at least some of them, uh, seem to have developed this sort of love hate relationship with with Brussels. I mean, in any case, it's not an easy one. Czech Republic is probably the country with the highest levels of. Euroscepticism in Central Europe. Central Europe usually is very Europhile, but here there's a high level of, of, of Euroscepticism. I, I don't think there is any question right now of, of Czechs uh, leaving behind the Czech crown for the Euro. And maybe you can tell us why there is uh, such a distrust uh, for the EU as a whole. But at the same time, one thing that I found remarkable is that during COVID-19, support for the EU has increased, maybe not spectacularly, but but at least significantly. Uh, if I look at uh, the Eurobarometer surveys in 2019 and 2021, so just before and just after COVID, 2019, before COVID, we had 36% of Czechs declared that, declaring that they trusted EU institutions. And two years later, in the spring of 2021, the numbers was 49%. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that Czechs have become absolute over Europhiles overnight, 
but but the change is still quite significant. Is there something behind this? And and do you think that that this you know rise of let's say Europhilia is something that is going to last? Well, uh, there are uh, historical reasons for a, a degree of skepticism on part of uh, any checks towards the European Union. And uh, there are, let's say, political reasons that are more recent. If we talk about the historical reasons very briefly, because they are complex, um, uh, it is um, mainly the uh, the fact that uh, the Czech lands were, um, for many hundred years, uh, were uh, a province of someone else, uh, the Habsburgs, then uh, Berlin um, during World War II, then uh, Moscow, the Soviet Union um, after '48, and uh, a lot of Czechs developed uh, a very strong dislike for um, uh, being ruled from somewhere else: uh, Moscow, Berlin, Vienna, and this is still part of the of sort of national psyche, which uh, is very skillfully used by some politicians today who don't like the European Union. And then the more recent political reasons uh, are underpinned by the fact that there are politicians who uh, were uh, skeptical of the European Union and they managed to achieve uh, some stature, a political stature in the Czech Republic. Uh, Mr. Klaus, uh, uh, the first prime minister of the Czech Republic, became the president of the country in 2003 and he uh, was uh, really becoming during his tenure more and more Eurosceptic, and that somehow registered with a, a lot of Czechs uh, who uh, don't have uh, a deeper uh, knowledge of of how the European Union works, uh, what it can do, what are the reasons for its existence. Uh, in fact, uh, when Mr. Klaus was still uh, the Prime Minister and was in charge of uh, of the first steps on the path to um, to joining the European Union, he was uh, uh, actually acting as if this was an accounting operation, profits and losses. There was never any discussion of values, of, uh, of uh, deeper reasons for European integration. It was always what we can get and what we can lose. And this somehow became part of um, how the European Union is talked about in the Czech Republic, and unfortunately, quite a few party politicians uh, repeated this after Mr. Klaus, uh, uh, the current president, uh, Mr. Zeman, uh, has uh, declared himself to be uh, pro-European, but in fact, his, his uh, actions and uh, words are uh, certainly not very uh, pro-European. And then uh, we have Mr. Babiš, who uh, has been in Czech politics for almost eight years now, uh, four years as the prime minister, and his uh, attitude towards the European Union is very instrumental. That means uh, he praises the European Union when he can get uh, something for uh, the Czech Republic or himself. If not, then he's very critical, and uh, anytime he's criticized for, let's say, his conflict of interest, he goes on an attack. So if we combine all of these things together, um, uh, it is no surprise that a lot of Czechs really don't know uh, how to think about the European Union. I wouldn't say that the European Union is, um, uh, that the Czech population is overly Eurosceptic. I would say that uh, we have about 20% uh, of the population that uh, is against the European Union. Then we have about 20-25% strongly in favor. And then we have this uh, 
uh, shallow ground, so to speak, <coughs> in between people who really don't know and and how they think about the European Union, about uh, its benefits, and so on. Uh, it depends on uh, on who is talking to them. And so when um, the European Union took some real steps, and Czech media were praising uh, Brussels for taking those steps to, to salvage the European economy in the wake of, uh, of the COVID-19 epidemic, uh, a lot of Czechs uh, who really don't care about the European very much suddenly started feeling uh, very European because they could see benefits coming from from Brussels. And I, I think that uh, uh, that is the, the real reason for this increase in, uh, in the popularity of the European Union in recent months. Mm -hmm. So still need to win the heart, I guess, uh, on, on the part of Brussels. Let's move on and let's look at things a bit more global here and, and talk about the, the orientation of, of Czech diplomacy. And I think there is little doubt here that, that the Czech Republic sees itself as a Western country. Uh, I mean, you were instrumental after all of the of the Berlin Wall and of the Soviet Union in, in, in making sure that what Milan Kundera called the kidnapped West would, would become a full part of the West. And uh, I think if we look at public opinion, uh, positions of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the positions recently taken by the mayor of Prague on Taiwan and China, that it, it really this uh, Western anchorage is very present. And yet it's also remarkable to see that other part of the Czech population and Czech elite are looking East, uh, meaning Russia and China mainly. Uh, Russia is a language that you hear a lot still in the streets of Prague and Karlovy Vary, for example. And I guess President Miloš Zeman, whom we talked about earlier, is a very good example of fascination for parts of the, the Czech's elites for both Russia and China. That makes a lot of actors in Czech foreign policy. Do you see that's a plus or a minus? Because it can also be seen that there's a lot of different positions. And does, what does it mean for the Czech Republic's uh, place in the transatlantic alliance? It's a clear minus, simply because there are too many voices uh, in Czech foreign policy and uh, many of them speaking uh, very differently from, from each other. So we have a president who has a very strong voice in foreign policy, and he has that voice, strong voice, because uh, he's allowed to have it by the prime minister, because under the Czech constitution, the president actually uh, is just a ceremonial figure most of the time, and uh, whatever he does in foreign policy is uh, subject to uh, the government's approval, at least formally. But uh, since Mr. Babish is dependent on Mr. Zeman, who uh, brought him to power, he has allowed Zeman to actually have his own foreign policy. And Mr. Zeman, for whatever reasons, um, is, uh, as you said, very pro-Russian, very pro-Chinese. I think that his relationship with China is, uh, is based on economic reasons. He believes that we should uh, discard human rights uh, values and things of that sort in favor of good economic relations with one of the most powerful economies in the world. And he says that very often. And uh, there may be some, of course, some, some business interests of people around him who have been known for having um, their personal business interests in China. 
But with Russia, it's more complicated. It seems that Mr. Zeman, on the one hand, uh, is so strongly pro-Russian also because his uh, advisors, uh, people who uh, surround him, are very strongly pro-Russian for uh, whatever reasons. Uh, Some of them, again, have some economic interests in Russia. Uh, but also, he seems to have a, a very, very positive attitude towards Russia, uh, also for some other reasons, or at least he displays those attitudes. There have been a lot of speculation in Czech Republic why, uh, what, uh, what the reasons are, and uh, it really doesn't make sense to speculate too much. Uh, but I would say that um, it creates. Um, uh, a reality which is very difficult to manage in Czech foreign policy simply because we have uh, 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 the official government line which is pro-Western and then we have uh, a president who is admired by uh, his electorate and about half of Czech population and he's very pro-Russian. And this creates uh, very unpleasant uh, situations, uh, conflicts when uh, the the prime minister, for example, takes an action which is very, uh, very pro-Western, and then the president tries to uh, somehow counter it with his uh, own policy. One example, when um, uh, Mr. Skripal and his daughter were poisoned in uh, Great Britain by uh, Russian uh, intelligence, uh, and Britain requested that uh, uh, NATO countries show some support. Mr. Babish expelled two Russian diplomats, at which point Mr. Zeman uh, decided to sabotage this and actually said that maybe Novichok was produced, that's the nerve uh, gas that was used in this attack, is produced in the Czech Republic. And he ordered an investigation into this. He knew very well that it's it's nonsense, but it was how he played this game. So uh, there are many examples like that, and that of course makes uh, Czech policy sometimes very incoherent, sometimes even slightly ridiculous. Yet another example: Mr. Zeman went on on a visit to Serbia, where he promised that he will do everything in his power to convince. Uh, uh, the Czech government that Kosovo should be unrecognized by the Czech Republic as a, as a country. That means the recognition of its independence or recognition of the fact that it is, a, it is an independent state, which the Czech Republic actually gave it in 2008, should be taken away. And although Mr. Zeman knew very well that this is totally unrealistic and this is something that he will not achieve. He did it anyway and caused all kinds of false hopes in Serbia and some other countries. Uh, also, of course, um, unhappy, a lot of unhappiness in Kosovo. And we have had these situations again and again. So I think that having um, these two strong voices in foreign policy is unfortunate. Not to speak of the fact that we we have also other voices because uh, uh, some politicians are unhappy with the state of affairs uh, belong to uh, the politicians who are trying to to, to make their foreign policy, like uh, the chairman of the Senate, for example, who is uh, from the opposition. Um, So Czech foreign policy, to to cut a long story short, is uh, basically very difficult to read, uh, sometimes a mess. And, uh, of course, uh, uh, what matters in the end are, uh, uh, is the institutional anchor of the Czech Republic, and that is the European Union and NATO. But if, uh, if anyone were to judge the Czech foreign policy 
on the basis of what's what is said in various uh, uh, high uh, places in Czech politics, uh, he would be very confused. Mm -hmm. So there will be room for a lot of debate on this issue after the election. So we are coming to the end of our show, unfortunately. But before I let you go, I would like to invite you to take part in our Q&A lightning session. It's very simple. I'm going to ask you three very short questions, this time getting back to the elections. I would like to ask you to provide three very short answers, the kind yes, no, a couple of words or a name and nothing more. Is this okay for you? Yes. Okay, so let's start. Question number one, which party or coalition will get the most votes in this weekend's election? I think it will be uh, Anna of Mr. Babish. Question number two, who will be called to form a government immediately after the elections? Uh, we already know from the words of uh, Czech President Mr. Zeman that it will be uh, Mr. Babish. It's beyond uh, doubt. And question number three, maybe a harder one, will the Czech Republic have a government with a majority by Christmas? I don't think so that the Czech uh, Republic will have a majority government, uh, even if uh, Mr. Babish has a majority with the small anti-system parties, it will be extremely difficult for him to form a majority government because they all have different interests. So I, I don't presume that the Czech Republic will have a majority government by Christmas. Okay, so I guess we're going to have to leave it here. Jerzy Pehe, thank you so much for taking part in today's show and sharing your knowledge and insight and hindsight about uh, Czech politics. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, then I definitely advise you to read some of Jerzy Pehe's analysis on uh, Czech elections in the coming days. He can be found on Twitter, at Jerzy Pehe, and he writes in many of the most prominent newspapers and news sites in the Czech Republic. That is, if you read Czech, of course. And if you are still browsing the web, why don't you check out iRise website at iRise.org to check out what we do to promote and defend democracy around the world, including in Central Europe. We are on Twitter as well, uh, at iRise Global, and of course, at Think Atlantic. Uh, this is the end of this episode of Think Atlantic, the podcast that provides you with thought leadership for the future of the transatlantic space. Many thanks to Brianna Kerr and Romain Lequinu for producing this series. We'll be back in two weeks to talk about the Bobos with David Brooks. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the show and of course, share it with your friends and colleagues. We'll love it when we get more listeners. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon.